Welcome to another episode of How to Read the Bible. I'm your host, Nate Claiborne, here again today with Benjamin Kant. How are we doing, Ben? Doing well. Looking forward to talking about typology uh, or reading the Bible with patterns, four patterns, uh, part two, where we're going to get a little bit more practical with this. Yeah, and if we should pause right here and say, if you didn't listen to our episode from last Monday, um, you'll want to go back and listen to that because we're not going to we're not going to recap here. We're just going to jump right into the next next kind of phase of development. And so, what we're going to do here is we're going to draw on a, a concept that we introduced a few episodes back called triperspectivalism. I believe it was in the Job thirty eight episode, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, of there's these different perspectives on reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, normative perspective, situational perspective, existential perspective. And as we're thinking about reading according to patterns, we really have those same dimensions as well. Mm-hmm. And so without trying to complicate it too much, we would maybe say a normative reading is you're seeing patterns that connect to Christ. You're seeing how, and some of those are explicitly mentioned in Scripture, some of them aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, the situational reading of patterns is when you see these key places or themes that show up throughout scripture. We'll, we'll unpack one of those in a future episode, but a garden, a mountain, a city on a hill, those kind of things. Yeah. Those sorts of things. Um, and then there's what we're going to talk about today. There's this sort of existential dimension where characters in the Bible serve as patterns that do still connect to Christ and their stories do connect to each other, but they also connect to us today in a way that is instructive. Mm-hmm. So with that kind of setup in mind, where, where are we starting for these existential patterns? Yeah. Well, just to point out that James is doing this, um, particularly in, in James 5, where we've got uh, James is drawing on the pattern of Job's life to teach us what it looks like to be patient in suffering. Mm. He's drawing on the pattern of Elijah's life uh, who is a man with a nature like ours. In other words, he's not hes not supernatural in, in that sense. He's got a nature like ours, and yet he's a pattern, a type, uh, a picture of what it looks like to pray well. Mm, yep. and, and so the Bible is constantly using examples of Old Testament characters to teach us how to live well. Now, this is wisdom literature, and so there's ways in which we can learn to live wisely by paying attention to the scriptures. Now, how is this not just... Uh, hey, go and do like this. Go be a dare to be a Daniel, right? Or yeah, yeah. you know, and and let me just be real for a second. I wouldn't mind it if more people dared to be a Daniel. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing. Homeboy wrong with that. prayed three times a day. Uh, I mean, he was he was committed to fasting for his nation. Like he loved people well. He was wicked smart, leading in a secular nation at a top tier level of governmental authority. Like I would love it if more Christians dared to be a Daniel. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the we we should. It's cliche to say dare to be a Daniel in, in conservative Christian circles, but we should at least note he's one of the few characters in Scripture that there's not an obvious flaw. You could dare to be him and you'd do all right. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, you, you could do worse. But the problem with that, and this is a very serious problem, is oftentimes there's this sense of pull up your moral bootstraps and just get after it. Mm. And you don't need Jesus to do that. Right. Um, what you end up is what Edmund Clowney called a synagogue sermon, something that you could preach without Jesus, mm. and it would be it would work just the same. Yeah. And so we are Christians. Christ is core to everything that we do. And so let's let's see an example of this using Daniel actually, um, of what this might look like to read the Bible for patterns that might change the way we t- pattern our lives. Yeah. So let's start with Joseph. Okay. Joseph is this uh, incredible story who actually, believe it or not, takes up a giant chunk of Genesis, right? Yeah. Uh, chapters, what is it, 30? 30... 37. I mean, it's the last, last 13 chapters, but they're long 
long 13 chapters at the end of the book that's just centering on the life of Joseph. That's right. And so Joseph is a significant character in the Old Testament. But um, based on what we were talking about before, nowhere in the New Testament does it say that Joseph is a type or a pattern of Christ. Mm. Uh, nowhere does it say that Jesus is the greater Joseph like it does the, the greater Moses or the greater Jonah. Yeah. That's interesting, given that he's such a significant character. So some would say, well, then we, we ought not think Joseph is a type. And, and that's a more minimalistic uh, reading of, of scripture that, that's going to say only what the New Testament permits us to see as a type can we see that way. And and maybe in another episode, we can argue our point on this, Nate, yeah. but, but neither of us hold to that. Right. We actually right. would have a more maximalistic approach, if you will, where we're saying that the whole Bible is always pointing to Jesus in various ways. It doesn't have to be explicitly named in the New Testament. Yeah. And I think that's where, the, where it's been helpful for us to use the language of pattern rather mm-hmm. than type of... Um, Really what it would come down to is if, and this is what we're getting ready to do right here, if we want to suggest that Joseph is a type of Christ, we're, all we have to do is defend from scripture, does he fit the pattern? Mm-hmm. And if he fits the pattern, he's a type. That's great. So let's figure out what does the pattern of Joseph look like? Okay. Uh, he's a he's the younger kind of unexpected brother uh, who is takes kind of this, this superior role in his family, which happens throughout the story of... Of Genesis, the, yeah. the the older ends up serving the younger, which is unusual in a a culture that what is it? What's the is it primogeniture? Um, yes. The, now it's it is it is tricky if you think about it, and I don't want to complicate this too much. Joseph is both an older brother and a younger brother because of Benjamin, right? He's the, he, he's his older brother. He's the oldest brother of the favored wife, mm-hmm. which is why he gets the coat of many colors. That was yeah. the sign that the inheritance is going to pass to him. That's right. But at the same time, he's the young, almost the youngest of all the available brothers, meaning sons of Jacob. Mm-hmm. That's right. So we file that away. He's old. He's an older and younger at the same time. That's going to be significant. Yeah, that's good. And so then Joseph is betrayed by his own kin, by mm-hmm. his own brothers. Uh, they want to murder him, but they decide not to. Uh, and so they throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery to a foreign foreign nations, right? And he's taken in slavery to Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, he ends up um, in rising to power. Uh, and then he is falsely accused of uh, getting after Potiphar's wife. Mm-hmm. And so he's accused of um, sexual misconduct, even though he is actually holy and righteous. And, and, and so what does he say? Something like, how could I do this to my Lord? How could I, uh, I would never dare to do that to, to the Lord, my God. Mm-hmm. So there's this righteousness that we see there, even though he's being accused of being unrighteous. Um, he's thrown in prison and he's there for years. Uh, he's interpreting dreams while he's there. He is um, in many ways, uh, interesting, there's a baker and a cupbearer that's in prison with him. What do those two produce? Uh, they work with bread and wine. Yeah. Huh. Let's oh, just file that away somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so he's got this guy with bread and this guy with wine um, that he's working with in, in prison and, and ends up helping uh, to some extent, one of them at least. Um, and eventually he's elevated to this position of honor and authority and rule in uh, in a secular nation uh, like Egypt, secular in the sense that non, non-Israelite nation. Right. Um, and then there's a way in which his kind of dying and rising, his going through kind of death into this rising into authority and power is the means by which he's able to be reconciled back to his brothers mm-hmm. uh, by grace alone. Like they don't deserve it. Mercy is what's their way, what they get. Justice would be off with their heads. Yeah. Um, how would you fill in some more details of the Joseph pattern? So I, I'm thinking of 
how the offices work. So you, you picked up on the trajectory of his story, and even in the language in Genesis, he goes down into the pit, and mm-hmm. then he goes down into Egypt, and then he goes down into prison, mm. and then he gradually. So he's got this humiliation, mm-hmm. and then he's got this exaltation where he gradually rises to the position that he rises to in Egypt, which is a royal position of some type. So he's functionally a type of a king, mm-hmm. we might say. But he's been interpreting dreams, predicting the future, speaking like a prophet. Mm. But then he's also interceding for the baker and the butler. He's interceding mm-hmm. for his brothers. So he's, he's, in a certain sense, he's doing the role of a prophet, a priest, and a king, Yes, even if he's only officially a royal figure. That's good. That's helpful. And, and so we could spend uh, actually a good amount of time on Joseph, but, but let's move actually within the Old Testament, within the Hebrew Bible to show that typology, patterned reading is actually something that's not new to the New Testament mm-hmm. because it, it's pretty easy to argue that Daniel is actually a type of Joseph uh, that, or, or maybe the other way to put it would be Joseph's a type of Daniel. Yeah. Um, that that fits Daniel the pattern. fits the pattern of a Joseph. And so again, Daniel is an Israelite who is against his will, brought into a foreign nation. Uh, this is during the exile into Babylon. And, and so while he's in Babylon, he's, he's trained up in all the Babylonian ways and, and learning and educated in the, in the Babylonian ways of viewing the world, which is true of Joseph too, as far as we understand. He was, mm-hmm. he was very, came of age in Egypt. Yeah. And, and so, um, which is also true of Moses, uh, which is interesting. But let's stick with Daniel. And so Daniel is um, in many ways a, a paradigm of righteousness in uh, in an exilic situation. And so he prays three times a day, and there's this really sketchy way in which I think it's Darius's uh, men kind of try to thwart Daniel, mm-hmm. get him thrown into a lion's den, um, and, and the Lord delivers him in a, in a powerful way. So there's a death there that happens. Uh, even the death that is brought into exile is a death. Yeah. Um, but there's a humiliation in going down into the lion's den. And then he's he rises again from the lion's den into a position of power in in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, reign, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so he has more authority than anybody else in Babylon except for Nebuchadnezzar, which I think was true of Joseph as well. And so we could see how this pattern is actually filled out, not just in the New Testament. In other words, there is uh, this patterned way of reading is something in the Old Testament as well. How else would you add to the ways Daniel yeah, fits I'm, that? I'm thinking through how... I mean, he's in a foreign culture. He's, there's the death, resurrection, the humiliation, exaltation. Um, again, royal figure, uh, intercedes, That's prays right. three times a day, um, prophetic. I mean, we, we look at the way mm-hmm. Daniel's, the Hebrew Bible doesn't do this, but the English Bible puts Daniel right in the middle of all the prophets That's as right. if he's a prophet, but he's kind of a royal wise man figure. Mm-hmm. But it's showing that figure can be both prophet and king or That's prophet, right. priest and king. So he's still still hitting all three of those points, just like Joseph did. Yeah. And in Daniel's dying and rising, in his humiliation and exaltation, he brings about the salvation of his people, mm. uh, just like Joseph did with his brothers and, and preserves the line of Abraham. Yeah. Um, and so Daniel does that as well. And so um, uh, the angel comes to Daniel and says, hey, your prayers were heard. And and here's the prophecy for when Israel's going to be delivered out of exile. Yeah. Um, and so he brings about the salvation of his people. And so you ought to be uh, tingling with anticipation for Jesus to step on the scene and fill this pattern out of 
Joseph and Daniel, uh, this man who is, uh, you know, a lowly man, just a carpenter from Nazareth. Nobody knows who he is. He's, he's kind of the, um, in many ways, the, uh, the outcast, the one that you would not expect to, to be there. And yet he's, he's pulled in and becomes, um, pretty authoritative in some ways. Um, and then, of course, there's a dying at the hands of his own brothers, his own people, mm-hmm. just like Joseph. Well, and we should fill in, too, Galilee is north of Samaria. Galilee mm. is predominantly Gentile territory. So mm. he rises to prominence in a largely Gentile area, mm. That's just good. like Joseph, just like Daniel, and then has the fall, mm. uh, the further humiliation. I mean, he's our humiliation of growing up in backwoods Nazareth, but and having a questionable origin story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, we still have that like ministering in a Gentile uh, exilic sort of feel is That's also good. part of his story. Something lost on us as English readers if we're not paying close attention to geography. Yeah, we're just like, oh, that place is there, that place is here. Like, oh, you have to look at a map and kind of see mm-hmm. what's going on distance-wise. That's helpful. And and this is another situational uh, type or pattern that you brought out earlier, which is empire. Egypt is an empire with a king of kings. Mm. Uh, Babylon is an empire with a king of kings. Rome is an empire with a king of kings. His name's Caesar. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is coming in conflict with Caesar uh, in many ways. Who is Lord of Lords? Who is King of Kings? Yeah. And so that's another type, typal, typological pattern that we see in Scripture as well as this empire that the people of God are in. And so Jesus is betrayed by his brothers. He is goes through a humiliation, a, a real death, and a real resurrection. Uh, and I mean real in the sense of bodily, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in that, he brings about the salvation of his people uh, in a very Joseph-like way, in a very Daniel-like way. Jesus is the true way of, of, of showing that type. Now, this comes home for us because mm-hmm. we live in exile. That's what, that's what Peter teaches us in First Peter, that we are elect exiles here in the United States of America or whatever country the people of God find themselves in. And so we ought to be paying attention to some of these patterns with Joseph and with Daniel and with Jesus and say, hey, it's actually not wrong to rise to power in a, in a hostile government uh, that, that in some ways are, is hostile towards the people of God, because um, you actually could use your influence for good, mm-hmm. uh, but you can't do it in a way that compromises your righteousness. Yeah. Um, and so in all of those situations, Joseph and Daniel and Jesus, their righteousness before God was, the, their fear of God was the most important thing and was never compromised in their secular setting, as we would put it today. Um, and so there's ways in which we can draw on that pattern, now that we've seen it worked out through Jesus, to apply it to our life and say, dare to be a Daniel, now that we've done this patterned reading of mm-hmm. scripture, dare to be a Joseph, dare to be a Christ, uh, living out exilic discipleship where you are in your everyday life. Yeah. And seeing how you may fill those various roles, prophet, priest, and king, being prepared for a humiliation with an, a promise of exaltation, knowing that that's not a guarantee in this life here and now, but is an ultimate guarantee, I think helps temper your expectations. But that's right. Hopefully listeners are able to kind of pick up on how what we did there with connecting those stories in Scripture and kind of giving it, to me, it just gives a more robust this is kind of how you draw application from stories in scripture mm-hmm. rather than just saying, do what they did. That's right. Look at their pattern and pattern yourself after them as they're patterned after Christ. Mm-hmm. Excellent way to summarize that. So it's been a pleasure, Ben. We'll talk again soon. All right. Looking forward to it, Nate.